considering how often you podcast, how do you not have your own mic? I do have my own mic. What do you mean? I thought we were delayed because you had microphone problems and you couldn't... Record. I did. I left it at my house and I was at my mom's house. Oh, you, ha- you have one. You just didn't have it with you. Right. Okay. I'd have right. to. That's why I said I'd have to ask Tina to get my mic and bring it up. Got it. Okay. I I, I only I think I that, that was that's on me then. I I kind of half listened to that and I, ah. I I was so confused because like she'd been recording she'd been podcasting for nine years. How does she possibly not have a mic? She hasn't been borrowing this whole totally time. Totally have a mic. Yep. Yeah. Wearing it right now. This is like go. the third one. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay. Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 229 of the Matinee Cast. It's a movie-loving podcast of my movie-loving website, thematinee.ca. Your home for cinematic passion and perspective. It's summer hours, people. I know it's Wednesday. I know that this show usually drops on Monday. But you know that thing when your boss says, hey, it's Friday in the summertime, you can go early. Or, hey, it's Monday in the summertime, we're going to open a little bit later. That's what's happening right now. It's August, so we're just taking a little bit more advantage of those summer hours. We're we're, we're seeing movies a little bit later. We're putting up shows a little bit later. Because it's just... There's so much to do. It's so nice outside. We don't want to be sitting in front of our laptops. We don't want to be holding microphones, talking about movies. We just, we, we get so little of, of the nice weather. We need to take advantage of it. Um, but the good news is, is that with the summer hours, uh, I bring you a really great guest today. Um, somebody who I pretty much literally spend every single day talking to. And I'm kind of surprised that I'm able to keep that going because it's been a about nine years of that um, since uh, she first appeared on my show and shortly after that I first appeared on her show and uh, unbeknownst to both of us a friendship was born um, we are across a wire and as I like to say across a river to upstate New York where one of the co-hosts of the Real Insight podcast is uh, joining us today it's uh, it's Jess Rogers how are you doc I'm doing pretty well sir how are you I'm okay. It's uh, it's going to be a weird week because uh, last week was the long weekend, so now I'm back to five days, and that always throws me for a loop. That can be hard. I'm finally hitting the last two weeks of actual vacation now that most of my field work is done. Um, I actually get all of next week off. Oh, I, I was going to say, like, I, I don't really think what you just had over the last few months was what, what anybody would call an actual vacation. No, you're right. I, <laughs> I worked... <laughs> Pretty much every day since the day yeah. I stopped working. Also summer hours, but not at all yeah. vacation. On episode 229, we will be discussing The Kitchen. We will be flipping the record over to play the other side and learning more about Jess. This is Know Your Enemy. Miss Rogers first showed up in episode 21. We talked about the town. There, we learned the first film she'd ever seen was The Muppets Take Manhattan. The last film she'd seen at the time was Snowcake. The worst film she'd ever seen is Over Her Dead Body. The unseen classic or essential was Citizen Kane. She's seen it. She loves it. And the film she wished she'd made is Out of Africa. Then, just returned on episode 57, we talked about Cabin in the Woods. We learn the film that everybody else hates that she likes is Out of Africa. The film everybody else likes <laughs> that she does not is There Will Be Blood. The last movie at the time to make her cry was The Hunger Games, the first one. In the movie of her life, she'd be played by Cameron Diaz in Charlie's Angels, because she's a fan of the Pygmy Nuthatch, I guess. And the film I she love lo- that reference. I just <laughs> saw it again. It was on TV this weekend. <laughs> so, so did I, actually. And I'm like... 
There's something about the bird. There's something about the bird. And then, and then the, that comes up. I was like, ah, oh, yeah, there it is. So yeah, I, I've seen it recently. I did pull a 19 year old reference out of my, out of my butt. Although I've been known to do that. I could see it. Of course. And then the film she was watching next, uh, was Take Shelter. Just returned on episode 86. It was a birthday show where we talked about the apartment. We learned the film that made her love of film turn a corner was P- The Pursuit of Happiness. That was the first film she ever wrote about. Her first date movie was Mission Impossible. Her sick day movie is Waitress. The last movie to leave her speechless was something called Taking Chance. And her epitaph is a quote from Pretty Woman. In case I forgot to mention it, I had a really good time tonight. Finally. On episode, no, not finally. Then, no. on, <laughs> then on episode 161, we talked about Ghostbusters 2016. We learned the film she really digs but never wants to see again as Life is Beautiful. The film that genuinely freaked her out is Silence of the Lambs. The movie that always makes her laugh is Step Brothers. The soundtrack that she calls her favorite is You've Got Mail. And the film that she loves but nobody else has heard of except me is a documentary called Just Eat It about food waste. Then finally, on episode 186, we discussed Thor Ragnarok. We learned that when she goes to the theater, she doesn't care where she sits. She just goes with it. Uh, if she could go on a date with any movie character, she would choose Robert Langdon from the Da Vinci's Code movies. Uh, the dirtiest film she's ever seen, and she took this question literally, is Mad Max Fury Road. Her favorite black and white movie is The Philadelphia Story. And finally, for real this time, the film that nobody would expect her to like uh, are two of the aforementioned films, both Step Brothers and Cabin in the Woods. So it's time for a new set of questions. Okay, so at home or in the theater, what is your movie snack of choice? Usually any candy. Um, most of the movie candies are good. Um, Milk Duds, if they're at a theater that probably turns over their candy soon. But mm. Hot Tamales or Mike and Ike's is always my movie candy. So, you, so you're okay with it being the, the, the sweet candy or the chocolate candy? Like as long as it's sugar, you're, you're good? It's good, but I, the chocolate kind of has to be either Milk Duds. The cho- chocolate has to be Milk Duds. Maybe Junior Mints if it's just the right day. But um, yeah, I, I pretty much don't ever have popcorn. I don't think I've ever bought popcorn I'm, I'm becoming theater. less of a fan of popcorn as time goes on because it gets stuck in my teeth. Um, unless I will, <laughs> That's I will, such an old man thing Oh, to I say. hate it. I hate it. It's, it's, <laughs> nothing annoys me more than a kernel stuck in my teeth. Um, it's like, you know, the big plot twist is coming, but I really want to floss. Um, I guess the, my, my question, though, is as well, is when you're talking about, like, milk heads and, um, and junior mints, are you ever paranoid about rattling the box at, like, a quiet moment in the, in the, in the movie, or do you time it? No, I definitely, I was raised by parents who are very, very aware of the subtlest noises of every kind, <laughs> of all bodily functions. Like, we are a very quiet, quiet family. Okay. Um, so, no, that would definitely be rude. I think I basically hold them, like, between my knees and basically rip the box a bit so that I can get my hand in and grab them. Gotcha. As opposed okay. to pouring them out. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I, like I'm. I'm a fan of of chocolate uh, during the movies. Also. Oh, sorry. One. One more question. Are you? Do you ever do the thing of like? No. You. You said no popcorn. I was going to ask you if you do the thing when you pour the chocolate into the popcorn because that's a thing. Not at the movie theater. On occasion, if someone else wants popcorn at home, okay, I will do the chocolate and popcorn thing. Usually Got with M and M's. Okay. I. I was unaware um, of this up until like. I think like three years ago or four years ago. Oh, like, that's so good. Genius. Yeah. Yeah. 
It, 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 um, it doesn't seem like it should go, but it goes. Yeah. No, hot tamales or Mike and Ike's are my, if I'm, like, if I go to the dollar store ahead of time, I'll buy Great. that. More stuff in a box that rattles. Good work. Okay. That's what I mean. I'll take the box so my whole hand fits in. I don't have huge hands, and then I don't have to work. Okay. This question I know gave you a little bit of trouble. What is a movie world that you would like to spend a day in? Oh, I felt, I, once I got a little help in the directionality of it, I definitely enjoyed it, but the caveat is it is a day. I do not want to move to this world, but yes. I would like to spend a day um, visiting the Dashwood sisters on Sense and Sensibility, hopefully in spring or fall, because I sense it is very hot in the summer and very cold in the winter. I feel like but, that's a cheat of an answer, but I can't prove it. Why? <laughs> I want to say because it's based on a book that I know you love, but... Um, it's also a movie I love. I it's literally know. my second favorite movie of all time. I, I, that's what I said. I can't prove it. It's, it's not actually a cheat, but it feels <laughs> like a cheat. Um, I mean... I don't what, know. I wear the Empire, Empire Waste dresses and the bonnet and walk around and sit and read and talk to people and not have to be required to do much and and, and bow yeah, and, and bow when you walk into a room and you you've never like planned a, a trip to to go and visit oh, and wander around house? And, yeah why not i mean i've been to bath i've been to bath either it's not the same no it's not no um some of austin's stuff is set in bath and a lot of regency novels yes. are set in bath yes but, but no, but I'm I'm saying like for how much you love that book and that movie, and and I know you've been to England a few times. I, it I'm has never been in my. I, you have I have never actually thought of it. You have just put it in my brain. I mean, you know, like I I I, I, I as your attorney, I would suggest you move that up the list. Of, of, <laughs> well, of, I also of, had never thought of going list. to the Anne of Green Gables house until you put that in my brain. I didn't know that was something. I did. <laughs> well, okay. I was, I was, gonna, I was gonna spare you that one, but I was gonna, yeah, I was about to say you didn't know that was an actual place. Um, oh. <laughs> yes. So it's. I mean, listen. I know I'm being an especially big nerd when I'm like going to the places that these books are set and taking a picture of me with my book in front of these places. But I'm just saying, like, considering how much that book and that movie means to you, I would suggest that you put that somewhere on the list I to go to that. the go to the estate that they filmed. That that Ang Lee and everybody filmed that thing in, and and wander yes. around and read your book, and I'm sure they've got tours. You know, like I mean, they've got tours of like every castle that they use for Harry Potter. What is your favorite good scene in a bad movie? My favorite good scene in a bad movie. Well, I had sort of two, but one felt like it might have been said before or might be too cliched, and that was sort of the pod racing scene in Phantom Menace. Nobody has mentioned that. The The whole prequel trilogy is, is aging so strangely with time because, oh, yeah. I mean, we're, we're now, I mean, well, first of all, we're, you know, buckle up, buttercup, because we are 20 years removed from that movie this summer yeah that's right yeah yeah. 20 years ago was the phantom menace and i remember how hyped everybody was for it how disappointed everybody was for it and it feels as though in the time since there's been all kinds of reassessments and revisits and rethinkings of what that trilogy was what that movie was and what it meant um and i'm sure if anybody does a google you will find just terabytes of writing about all three of those movies and maybe that one in particular but i do remember at the time that no matter what anybody thought 
of the Phantom Menace, everybody was in agreement that that Padre scene was fantastic. It's so good. It's so creative. It introduced us to a totally different, yet completely authentic that world um, vehicle, right? Like that was the big thing I remember growing up in the eighties. Like you had the X wings, the A wings, all the destroyers, the Millennium Falcon, the vehicles to yeah. get places. Yeah, were what people collected, built. Um, things like that. And so adding something like that, like the pods in this way and then racing them in this way was literally adding to the canon appropriately. It gave like you something... kind of a glimmer of what Luke would have been doing for fun. Right. You know? Yeah, a lot more. And um, going back just a second, one of the things I think that might have made the – this just hit me the last time I watched it um, – one of the reasons I think the trilogy did not land 20 years ago is because it was such a, such updated technology from 20 years before that, right? Like 1977 to what, 99 you're saying yeah. it was? Oh, yeah. So it was like bright and shiny and had a ton of CGI and things that just were so different from the feel of the original. Now, a lot of that technology is 20 years dated. Mm -hmm. And so, all of a sudden, it feels kind of like we felt about the originals technology, which yeah. was pretty cool and shiny when it came out. Right. I think some of it is just that sheen has come off of it to make it aged and um, burnished in the yeah. right way. Yeah, the, the, the look doesn't really match. I mean, that is one of the... That's one of the advantages of... This this new trilogy that we're in now is they're paying a lot more attention to trying to make the look match what it what was what was happening before and and the tech has come a long way that they can make it match you know that, that right. they can render things so much better and and not make them seem quite as as graphical um I, mean, I you know it's it's crazy because I do remember at the time like that was that great kind of Ben Hur moment in the middle of this. Mm -hmm very strange political tale that had just so 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 such a scattershot movie jess rogers what is the most violent movie you've ever seen so this is one of those that i didn't know what to describe as violent exactly like obviously some of the serial killer movies are kind of violent but are you describing horror and so i went with one that has just a violent scene in it that is so disgustingly awful and graphic it still haunts me and it's not a movie anyone else is going to mention i had to look up the name because i could only remember the actors in it it's pride and glory with ed norton and colin farrell i remember that one where they're oh i know i know where you're going with this yes please continue yeah, don't make me relive it but um there's a scene where they're trying to torture this one guy and they basically stab him through the mouth, through the neck, but not so that it even kills him. They're just sort of torturing him, and it's awful. It, they do a little bit of that all the way through it. And it just feels like one of the most violent movies I've seen. This is, I mean, I saw that movie at, uh, at TIFF. It, it played, the year it premiered, it played there. Um, <laughs> Pride and Glory, uh, that's the one, it's uh, Colin Farrell and Ed Norton. Colin Farrell and Ed Norton. And yep. they're both cops. 
Um, They're both cops, uh, and if, one's a dirty cop, and one's not. Right, and, and if I'm remembering correct, this is also the movie where, at one point, when they're trying to coerce some information out of somebody, they actually threaten a baby. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean a whole bunch of really unsavory not... things. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah, they're, like they're... they were pushing some envelope that nobody was asking them to open. Well, it's kind of like, like I mean, it's it's kind of one of those things where I feel like you can put an animal in peril faster than you can put a baby. Sure. The, 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 like the like second exactly you. Yeah, and I'm and I'm not gonna like get into detail about what they do, but it's just it was one of those moments where the whole theater kind of went, um, and, and and sat back in their seats, just really hoping yeah. that the movie wasn't gonna go there. And it's a TIFF movie, so nobody knows if the movie's gonna go there. Um, but yeah, right? but that that is a that's a rough one. Anytime you get those those cop movies and they can, you know, they get into a scene where they're where they're interrogating somebody. Um, that's, that's a, that's a rough go. So yeah, it's, it's a, that, I, I get you. There's a lot of kind of turn your head moments in that movie for sure. What is a movie monologue that if you could, you'd like to deliver? Well, I won't deliver the whole thing. I'll deliver the part that is most current and important. So the American president is one of my favorite movies. Cause I love, I love the West wing. I love Aaron Sorkin as problematic as he can be. Um, and there's a scene that I've always liked when the president, um, Michael Douglas gets up on stage at the end and has finally decided to speak out because they're making fun of his girlfriend, they're making fun of him, and he has to um, run for re-election. And so this is the part of it that I that always strikes me. So America isn't easy. America is advanced citizenship. You gotta want it bad because it's gonna put up a fight. You gotta say. You want free speech? Let's see you acknowledge a man whose words make your blood boil, who's standing center stage and advocating at the top of his lungs that which you would spend a lifetime opposing at the top of yours. You ought to claim this land as the land of the free, then the symbol of your country can't be just a flag. The symbol also has to be one of its citizens exercising his right to burn that flag in protest. Show me that. Defend that. Celebrate that in your classrooms. Then you can stand up and sing about the land of the free. That's a movie that I feel like a lot of people could do with <laughs> rewatching right about now. I um, feel like that. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, I, I. That's a, that one's right in my wheelhouse. That's a movie that I know kind of backwards and forwards. Like you could probably throw the most random, offhanded joke from the middle of that movie, <laughs> and I would get it. You know, because um, yeah. just because it's one of those ones that that arrived right as I was getting into film, and I had a copy, and I watched it end to end, and I do remember the whole. Like I, I remember the whole thing about. Um, the politics of that movie about what kind mm -hmm. of argument you engage in, how you have to listen, how you have to be able to make deals and everything and what is on the table for criticism and what's not. And I mean, this was back in this one, this was back in the Clinton era. Um, yeah. <laughs> ask your parents, kids. Um, and two, I mean, this was also back before the Clinton era got really weird. Um, it's, it's, yeah. it almost seems like ancient history now to listen to somebody speak like that. Now I know that Aaron Sorkin likes to get up on his pulpit and write the speeches, but all, all the same, I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's completely apt is that as long as somebody is, you know, staying on topic, you have to be able to do that. And it, it remains one of the hardest, con one of the most difficult contradictions 
of your country specifically, and certainly about like any Western country, that yeah. you have this push pull, and and you both have to listen. Absolutely. Yeah. And you have to be willing to continue listening. We're starting to figure out where those lines actually might have to be. That whatever rules of civility we used to be willing to live with, those don't seem to play into manners in the way they used to. No, so. no, and it's but that's it, a whole other podcast. It, it is. It's you know. It, I, I just. I guess. I kind of hope for like the whole wide world that people don't get so <laughs> fixated on you know, which side the person they're talking to happens to represent that they realize they, they forget that they're talking to a person, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and, and you just kind of got to got to run with that. So uh, I think the, the takeaway from that is everybody needs to rewatch the American president sometime soon. Um, yes. But uh, you got to wait first because we're going to talk about another movie uh, that we both watched and uh, maybe we think you should watch it. Maybe we don't. You're going to have to come back and find out for yourself. Uh, we're talking about the kitchen. It's the new slang right after this. And then- Kitchen is directed and written by Andrea Burloff. It stars Melissa McCarthy, Tiffany Haddish, Elizabeth Moss, Common, Donald Gleason, James Badge Dale, Brian Darcy James, Margot Martindale, and Bill Camp. Set in 1978 in New York City, kit- the kitchen begins with a convenience store holdup that quickly turns into the assault of two federal officers. As the three criminals are sent to prison, their wives, Kathy, Ruby, and Claire, that's McCarthy, Haddish and Moss, respectively, are forced to fend for themselves. When they do some quick math on just what their criminal husbands were doing and how, they realize, hell, we can do this. As the song goes, the ladies get in formation, and it doesn't take long before Hell's Kitchen is theirs. Things are never as easy as they seem, though, and and despite getting some help from a few handy sources, their husbands are soon out of jail, other outfits are trying to take their game, and the women themselves are disagreeing on just how to proceed. So as I mentioned, The Kitchen is a 1978 story. Times Square is full of porn theaters, the cars are huge mm-hmm. and come limed with a lot of chrome, the hair is big, so are the sunglasses, Hart and Fleetwood Mac are all over the soundtrack, The Kitchen is a story of its time and the women in the story are women of their time. So, pop quiz hotshot. This is a movie that is very much about the women of their time. So, what does a story set over 40 years ago have to say about the times we live in? I think it had a lot to say. It had a lot to say about... Some of that, actually, I thought was a little shallower than some of the other pieces it was trying to put together. But the idea... I mean, the idea that women can do anything men can do, yeah, that part we got a long time ago. But the pieces of sexism and assumed sexism and stereotyping is very much still true. That there's a particular place to be there. And just the one piece I thought that really made a big difference was after... um, Kathy, Melissa McCarthy's character, has her husband, um, played by Brian Darcy James, Jimmy, gets out of prison. Mm-hmm. And she's now running everything. 
he's out of prison and doesn't he doesn't really know where his place is now um all you see is how her success only emasculates him that there's nothing in that in her success that he can value for himself and that i felt resonated hugely um with today as well that that wasn't something that wasn't this pat sort of basic stereotypical type story where oh good look women can do everything men can do and maybe better or maybe different and i think they tried to say that when kathy's trying to help the community right not just trying to get rich and make money Mm-hmm. She is actually trying to win these union contracts for her community. She's trying to improve um, some of the help for people in the community. Yes, some of it feathers her best, but that's not her reason for doing it. Yeah. I think to answer my own question, and, and you know, I, I get to think about it for, for a few days when yeah. I first write it before you has to come up with an answer on the spot, is... I think what this movie reflects that is still very much uh, emblematic of our times is the struggle that goes with success. Like there, there was a, a presentation recently on in, in like some sort of business capacity where some yokel in the crowd put up their hand and said, when do I get to the level where I can lean back and enjoy it? Like when, when do I get to the level where my money will work for myself? My, my business will work for me and I can, take longer uh, like you know away from the office and be on a beach and do that kind of thing and the person looked back at the audience member and said if that's what you want you're going to have a lot of problems and it's you're just you're not ever going to get to that level because it doesn't work that way you get successful by trying to remain successful you get to enjoy it in other ways but it's never by laying back and just watching it all roll in you know that's not the way this works if it is you're doing something very very wrong either morally or or in you know in business like (laughs) and that is you know my long-winded way of saying that even though the women um get successful in terms of saying you know what as soon as we figure as soon as we learn what the boys are doing there's no reason to say that we can't do this for ourselves there is then a constant push and pull sometimes between them sometimes between them and the community sometimes between them and the power vacuum that was left over the best way to do it and i think that is very emblematic of every time that no matter how good you are at doing what you do, somebody is going to come along and say, you know what, you could probably be doing this a different way. And I think that's how you should be doing it. And you, you'll, you'll have to fight not to get there. There's one fight to get there, but then there's a whole other fight to keep it. And I think that's where this movie is kind of at its best is the fight to keep it. I think it does a good job of constantly looking at how women do some of it differently. I think that's definitely at the heart of it. Um, and I don't know that it's better. They have different ways of doing it. Some of them are successful. Some of them are less successful. They're just as stretch. It really tries to show you that you may not be able to keep all of what you have. And maybe you can't have it all, all of the pieces. Maybe you're not going to be able to keep it. Maybe you have to um, concede some of these things. Um, and yeah. maybe the guys you're married to are just assholes. <laughs> and 
they were never going to let you do anything or be anything more than their wives. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of, you know, that there's there's a tagline for a whole other movie. Um, I believe the movie's called Friends with Kids. And the tagline is, uh, kids love happiness, pick two. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's that kind of thing is, is what this movie really wants to say. Like what you're saying here is you'll, yeah, you'll have a whole lot of money and you'll have independence, but you know what? You're going to have to worry about your safety. You're going to have to worry about right. the next hustle. You're going to have to worry about yep. who is, who's screw who's trying to screw you over that maybe you thought you could trust. It's kind of mm-hmm. all in here, even though, you know, getting to the broader sense of the movie, this movie's kind of a mess. It definitely is. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed the experience immensely, but then when you think about it a little bit afterward, some of the characters are overly shallow. Some of the messages don't quite come across as well as they might. Like, some of them look, you can feel, are constrained by the comic book it came from yeah which, which um, I, I mean, both, of a, both of us both of us were kind of like caught off guard by that like i mean you messaged me yeah you're like, hey, did you know that this was from a comic book and i'm like no <laughs> um so I was, I was, did you know that it was from a comic book um it, it's funny actually that you mentioned that because i was actually thinking more technically this movie's messy it, it was the story was the story was pretty good but as far as things mm-hmm. like the pace of it and the transitions and and the actual right. like construction of it, that was where I felt this movie was a little bit more slipshot. The I mean the acting is top notch. Oh, they yeah. do a really good job. I I was very very impressed with Melissa McCarthy and Tiffany Haddish especially Elizabeth Moss. You kind of just expect it from her. Yeah. Although she was a little bit different than she's been in the past in some of her other roles. Well, yeah. I hadn't seen her like this before. No, no, me neither. I mean, I was, let's, let's get to the women. Like we may, since you went there, we may as well start with Moss. I mean, everybody these days, I think probably most associates her with Handmaid's Tale. But I think the thing I like about her, even though on Handmaid's Tale, she's kind of doing the same thing week to week is she's shown us some very different sides of of what she can do like this character claire is very different than certainly than peggy olsen and even different than right. june on hammond's tale she's got a lot more going on and she's she's probably the most you know the, the kind of the, the the one of the three that you worry about the most even though she's kind of the most vicious of the three well, yeah, she becomes, she learns to become a trained killer. Um, she starts off as an abused wife, horribly physically abused. And then her husband goes to jail, but she realizes he's going to get out eventually. And then um, uh, Donald Gleason's um, character comes in, Gabriel, and he sort of teaches her how to be a killer. And, and she, she just has this latches on to hands, right? Well, yeah, first, I mean, it's finally being empowered, and yeah. some of that was really interesting. Although, <laughs> this is this was kind of weird. So, they both have red hair, because everybody in, the, in this region of Hell's Kitchen is Irish. Right. Um, Ruby married into an Irish family, so she's Ruby O'Carroll. Um, but I totally, totally thought that 
Claire and Gabriel were siblings when he arrived <laughs> to save her. Right. And then it took probably a good 10, 15 minutes, I guess, until they kissed the first time. That I was like, oh, yeah, they're probably not brother and sister. <laughs> That's, that must have seemed like a whole other movie that you were watching for it's a minute like, there. You're yeah. either making a whole other story that I'm pretty sure in the 70s would still not play well. Yeah, I I mean, it's that like some of those moments with um, Claire's mild case of bloodlust felt a little forced. I, I did like early on how she... You know, she's the one who doesn't hesitate to to get messy. But at a certain point, it was kind of like, uh, I'm not quite sure if I'm buying this. Mm-hmm. But um, then we have Tiffany Haddish as Ruby. And I don't think I've seen Haddish do drama yet. Unless I'm no. forgetting something. And she's pretty damn good at it. I agree. I thought she did a good job. I think the one thing, and I this was probably either a director or writer's tick. I think Tiffany Haddish was the only character, Ruby was the only character who really swore, like tossed it off. It'd be one thing, like if it's an epithet to swear at somebody or um, to be surprised and swear, but she was, it was just part of her delivery regularly. And it felt weird to me. I mean, the whole, this whole, crime syndicate in hell's kitchen it's it's not that surprising that they all swear like sailors um, but they didn't all swear like sailors no no i mean it might part of that might come with the fact that you know she didn't have any kids so I, I you know i gotta imagine that part of the reason why kathy doesn't swear quite as much is because she's around the kids more um right and she's definitely more she does a good job of acting scared and nervous at the beginning like yeah. she's definitely a product of coming out of the 1950s born in the 1950s so she's basically been a housewife yeah. of sorts the of film, the traditional sense it doesn't play t- up too much the fact that she's the only black person in this community like it, it kind of it's it's it sort of like one or two head fakes yeah it's sort of which i found really surprising i kind of feel like if this was in the hands of another storyteller they might have played that up a little bit more because mm-hmm. I mean, it's 1978 too, so it's not like this is not exactly a very happy time for for black people in America, and certainly black people in the primarily Irish community of Hell's Kitchen, right? You know, um, and then McCarthy, who I swear can do no wrong. Um, this role kind of comes hot on the heels of her doing something really incredible in can you ever forgive me um, right she's got to do a lot in this movie that she's she's got she kind of has to do i'd say the most heavy lifting um yeah and, and she does she basically knocks it out of the park every time i totally agree i thought she does an amazing job um trying to so she keeps talking to her father i thought he was a great character wayne <laughs> duvall um, Larry, Kathy's father, Wayne Duvall. And I didn't know him from other things. I guess he was in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I vaguely recognize him as a character actor. But he wasn't somebody really big time new. And, and so I, you couldn't get a take on whether he was one of the same sort of gangsters from this part of Hell's Kitchen. But it sounds like a couple of times he mentions, no, that's your mother's family. Like he married into the gangster family. Um because I guess she's cousins or something with the other big wigs 
that her husband was working with and her husband married into the family and all this stuff. Um, and she's talking to her dad and he's trying to be this voice of, we raised you to be a good person. And she's kind of like, yeah, but you raised me not to be anything. And she's really angry about it. Yeah. And, but she's still constantly trying to live up to that. Like, explain it being able to explain to her father that she's just doing what she has to do to get by that she's not trying to do anything bad she needs to take care of her kids while her husband's in jail well even uh, once she gets past that like she gets to a certain point where the the business of the three women is a success and they're they, you know they're they've gone beyond just trying to provide from their own family like they've, they've gone beyond just trying to make ends meet, yeah and now they're actually sure. trying to make a success of it and they start getting into these uh union contracts like they actually right. get into bed with some some really really uh you know mobbed up outfits and that's when she's actually providing for hell's kitchen on the whole like she's you know like she's going to her father's union and providing them with with jobs and you know like she's almost a politician in that way and it's it's it's, but it's this delicate line of you know you know her dad talks to her and he's like you and i both know that you're not doing this on the up and up like it's great that you've done this yeah you know and, and you get that kind of conversation between the two of them in a way that they both understand it's a good story. It's technically bumpy, especially as I said in showing the rise and fall. Um, there's a couple moments where it feels like we lose track of time. Like it feels like sometimes it feels like just hours have passed, and sometimes it feels like months have gone by. Right. Um, the, the the guys they are suddenly out of prison. The weather. Yeah, the guys are suddenly out of prison after having served eighteen months, and I'm like, aren't we just like forty five minutes into this movie? <laughs> you know stuff like that it's it's the kind of movie i mean it's not it's not bad it's it's getting bad reviews all over the place it's not a, what i call a bad movie the only thing i would say is no. there is like much better stuff out there so if somebody comes to me right now saying hey i've got you know 15 bucks on a friday night off what should i see i'm not going to tell them to go see the kitchen I, i'm probably going to point them more towards the farewell or last black man in san francisco or midsummer or something like that it's it's none of which are playing near me in rural america so i mean that's just so you know exactly you can either go to this once upon a time in hollywood i see and and i haven't seen the latter so i have no idea um that like that's the thing is that it's it's not it's it's kind of like where where the bar is at right if somebody was say to me hey, this is on Netflix tonight, or hey, this is on demand this week, I'd be like, yeah, go ahead, throw it on. Oh, definitely. You know, but if somebody says, hey, I've got the babysitter book tonight, what am I seeing? I'm not telling them to see The Kitchen. Probably not. You might want to see something that would play even better on a big screen. But I, I still think this is a really solid movie. I'm surprised it's getting panned as much as it is, or not panned, but mediocre reviews and even just nothingness like it had i think they were saying it was mccarthy's lowest opening weekend ever and haddish's although she has fewer anyway yeah um which really surprised me and oh going back to the union contract she got i spent some time thinking about it and i was like what the heck are they talking about they built the contracts they were negotiating for what would have been built in their neighborhood near a hell's kitchen is the javits center and because it was started in 1979 okay uh you gotta fill me in what's the javits center 
Oh, the Javits Center is just a huge convention center where they have one of the biggest car shows in the world. Oh, it's yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Yes, yes, yes. Center on the lower, mid- Midwest side, basically. Okay. Uh, basically, in just south of Hell's Kitchen. Yeah. Uh, on the far side, it's right north of um, Chelsea. It's right north of um, Tribeca. The the timing of it is good, and the music of it is good, and the look of it is good, but it doesn't quite get there in terms of the in terms of any kind of authenticity but i do love that it's reminding people of hey you know not that long ago this city was broke you know we mentioned in the introduction that this film is by andrea burloff this is actually her directing debut she's a writer uh generally Mm -hmm. speaking she wrote stuff like straight out of compton and she wrote um the the oscar nominated for straight out of compton yeah yeah, absolutely uh i can't remember what sleepless was but she wrote it um something with michelle monaghan in it um uh, you know this is the thing that i always kind of struggle with is when it comes to i mean first of all you know i don't i i never want to like wail on a female director because I, i want there to be more of them um, but at the same time, I'm not going to try to shine what is a, a so-so movie just because a, a woman directed it. That wouldn't be right either. Um, where I would go with this is I'm always a little bit dodgy when um, an artist of another discipline sort of tries mm-hmm. to, to move over. You see this sometimes when um, editors will decide to direct or when cinematographers will decide to direct. Do you remember that crappy movie with Johnny Depp where he plays this scientist who like kind of has this AI take over him? Transcendence. It was from five years ago with Johnny Never Depp. Never heard of it. And, wow. uh, Johnny Depp, Morgan Freeman, Rebecca Hall, Paul Bettany, Kate Mara, Killian Murphy, all in this movie. Um, ah. Yeah. It was directed by Wally Pfister who is a two-time Oscar winner because he is Christopher Nolan's editor. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So, but he decides, I'm going to direct today. And and the movie, like, it's like, it, it's actually really badly directed. I have seen this thing. That's the huh. thing is that, I, you know, as, as much as I want Andrea Burloff to take another shot at something like this, I'd rather she put her skills towards writing better scripts um, mm. you know, the, then trying to, to try to make the leap into, into directing. Cause that's the thing is that when it came to, when I don't want to say one of the worst things about this movie was its direction. Um, because there are things in the writing of it that I think are really interesting that yeah. in the hands of another director might've worked out a little bit better. You never know. And yeah. you don't know how much I think, um, female directors and even writers, get a lot more push from studios so you don't know and she's using material that's not that's adapted right mm-hmm. so how much were the original authors pushing back or the studio pushing back on some of it so i'm more apt to give people trying to make that switch a little more leniency that maybe it's not all their fault at least for one shot oh yeah but like, uh, like, you know i'm i'm certainly not going to like swear her off after this i mean no. she she wrote she wrote straight out of Compton and I like <laughs> that movie. And I, I do like the writing in this movie and that that's her as well. Right. You know, so, you know, and the yeah. acting. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's the yeah. Thing. She's, she probably got things out of these women that if you had a given this script to like, you know, uh, you know, any of the just litany of guys who are directing these franchises, 
they probably wouldn't have got the same things out of McCarthy and Haddish, especially, uh, you know, Elizabeth Moss seems to do no wrong. Um, actually, and neither does McCarthy these days. But for all we know, a lot of what she got out yeah. of Haddish in this in this dramatic turn was was something that the average dude might not have got out of her. They did some interesting negotiations. So when they had to go <laughs> and actually start figuring out... So you kind of think Haddish, McCarthy, there's got to be some comedy in it. And it's not comedic. Like, it's not no. funny that Moss gets abused. And it's yeah. not funny that this kind of violence is going on and that they are afraid all the time. But then you see them negotiating. So they go in and they have to negotiate with... Um, a Jewish community that's going to be building this new uh, apartments complex and they want them to use local union contracts and the group of Jewish investors are protected by their friends in Brooklyn, which it turns out are the Italian mob mafia or mob in Brooklyn. And so then it's when they're negotiating with him and she walks out and goes him and it's yeah. these little touches I thought were terrific. And then they have to go and talk to Bill Camp from. Uh, yeah, from it was. thank you. Bill yeah. Camp. He honestly seems to see them as equals. Like he is not patting them on the head as women. He might be patting them on the head a little, little bit as novices, yeah. but not as women. Yeah. And I liked that negotiation. I thought his like kooky smile was somewhere between, I want to sleep with you, but I kind of respect you too much. And he did this interesting job. Like they were his peers slash rivals slash partners. And I thought they did a good job all the way through those pieces. Like how do you set up the, they should be afraid. They've never had to do these negotiations before. But at the same time, they don't have a lot to lose. No. Like, they're really riding the line of being bankrupt, dead, all the time. Yeah. There and so are, they do a good job. There are three scenes with Bill Camp, and they are all incredible because yeah. there's, there's different things going on every time. Like, every time they get summoned to Brooklyn. Like, let, let us let us be very clear here. The character that he plays, Alfonso Coretti does not come to you. You go to him <laughs> in Brooklyn every single time. And, and you know, to, 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 to steal the line from Lost, this is not a man you pay a visit. This is a man who summons you. Um, every time yes. they go to Coretti, you don't entirely know why they're there or, or how things are going to go especially that first time i really gotta admit the first time they yes. were sent there the you know as much as i'm wailing on um barloff's direction the first time that they went there i wasn't sure that they were all coming back because that, <laughs> no. that really was set up incredibly well you didn't know entirely who was who had called them to brooklyn why they had called them to brooklyn if every one of those women were going to come back safely and once they're there coretti is you know he's very um he, he's very courteous in that way that some of the most 
bloodthirsty people are. Like, like you, you, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. You hear about like you hear about like dictators around the world, and yet when you get an audience with them, you're sitting on plush chairs, you're eating really rich cake, you're drinking expensive tea, and you might still be killed by the time it's done. And that's sure. what they, you know, that that's this thing that they set up with 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 Bill Camp and it yeah it's it's an incredible inclusion in this movie that i would say is worth telling somebody hey watch this movie watch it for this dude and how he plays off these three women yeah and even better how the three women are like you can see their growth in their care in their profession oh, yeah. by how they act each time they go see him they're yeah. a little afraid they're um then they work with them and then the last time they go see him oh my god i'll Hell breaks loose yeah. in the Either weirdest, the- subtlest, heartbreaking way that I don't want to de- dig too deep into. Yeah, neither Jess or I will talk about the third visit um, that that happens when they go, when the, the last time that uh, anybody goes out to see Coretti. But it's truly a situation that you don't know how it's going to play out because no. it, it could like there's there's several different things that could be happening and they're all equally plausible it's not a bad movie it's it's an okay movie but no. at the very least like I, I gotta i gotta admit it's an entertaining movie um i, I know agree. i i saw it with a, i saw it and ran into some people like in the lobby and they're like what do you see in the kitchen for like like were you assigned to review it i'm like i'm just seeing it for kicks <laughs> you know there, there's if you don't want to see a if you don't want to see a franchise you could do far worse right now yeah. I, don't, I don't know where people fall on Dora the explorer but, but uh, i think it's more <laughs> well, yeah. more worthwhile we end every review here on the matinee cast with a souvenir something tangible or intangible that if you could take away from this movie and keep you would just rogers uh you you kind of teased it earlier on what would be your souvenir from the kitchen um so there are a lot of those little bits like when tiffany haddish walks out and sort of just tries to throw the lime back at the jewish um jeweler who's going mm-hmm. to be building this building but um it's really when mccarthy towards the end is talking to her dad and her dad's had this change of heart he's been trying to say she's been doing things wrong and he really is like look you i think you did the right thing they're talking about something she had to do and i did i think he's like he's changed i think you did did the right thing you did it for your kids you did it for what you had your family and i respect that and you think oh okay yeah she's now she's gotten her dad on her side now and then mccarthy stone cold in the best way is like no i did this for me i did this so that i'm not going to be afraid anymore i did this so i don't have to be beholden to a man in any way that i don't have to um, be afraid until a man comes to save me. I just don't have to be afraid. And I, uh, I loved her speech. I'm just sort of paraphrasing it at best. But I thought that, that was terrific. It's not a super long one. It's not like a big oratory. It's just no. a couple of moments. But it, it's, that not, was my it's, favorite it's not moment. the kind of like it's not the kind of stand up and cheer monologue that uh, that a lesser movie would kind of frame it into. No, it's it's really subdued um and and done incredibly well um there are a lot of old school cars in this movie and they're no (laughs) longer yeah there are they are no longer practical in any way shape or form their boats they get like you know two miles to the gallon uh they're 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 hard to park but just for like one afternoon i'd really like to drive one of those cars and just kind of just to kind of feel what like our parents and our grandparents used to consider you know, a, a good ride. 
Yeah. Like, uh, like I don't you know. You can see why know. they'd go for a drive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, you'd, you'd see why they'd just they'd... go for a drive. Yeah. yeah. Pass a quarter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's just, you know, let's, let's just spew CO2 into the air and go nowhere in particular. Yeah. But that'll be a fun use of it of two hours. But some of these cars, they just, they seem. Sure. They, I mean, I mean, they, they, they're like houses with wheels. They're so spacious. You can fit, like, you know, so many things in the trunk. They look amazing. Yeah, just just for just for a day, yeah. I'd like to drive one of these cars. They you did know, a good job using. They always they always do. Like that's the thing; these movies that they set in this time, this sort of time period, they they make the cars look really cool. Like you can sort of, if you squint and you you put your moral compass in check for a second, you can sort of see why people would still want those. And then you, as I said, you remember all that other stuff, and it's like, no, 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 you don't need this. Um, but we rate here on the Matinee <laughs> Cast on a scale of one to four stars. Jess Rogers, what do you give uh, The Kitchen on a scale of one to four? On a scale of one to four, I would give it a three. I enjoyed the experience. Okay. It's even a decent, if you need some good air-free-ish air conditioning, go check it out. It's a good, it's a good entertainment movie. Yeah, I mean, you could do far worse. Now, I'm, I'm a little bit lower than you. I'm down around a two and a half, just because I think it's bumpy. But at the same time, I don't think it's bad. I, I like, if, if, you know, it's if, for as messy as it is, it entertained me. I, I don't know if it's worth the, you know, as, as Hitchcock used to say, the dinner and the babysitter and the parking. But <laughs> you know, it is, it's, it's, it's time well spent. That's for sure. You could do far worse. I spent, you know, longer than this this past weekend watching Hobbs and Shaw and I can tell you that as stupid as Hobbs and Shaw is I felt like I had wasted way more time with them you know as opposed to the kitchen so it's it's, it's, a, it's a, a warm two and a half from me a very warm three from Jess um, maybe you think we're both out to lunch maybe you think this movie is terrible or maybe you think it's the best movie you've seen this year uh, hey let us know Ryan at the matinee.ca Twitter where I'm matinee underscore CA or facebook.com slash dark matinee what do you think of the kitchen we're going to take a quick break and come back to talk about Lots more movies after this. Uh, so join us in a second. We'll put the record over and play to the side. We're back. She's Jess Rogers. I'm Ryan McNeil. It's Matinee Cast 229. We've been talking about the kitchen. Uh, the um, the obvious comparison to uh, this film is um, you know is a fewfold actually. On the one hand, from last year there was uh, Ocean's Eight, which was a sequel to the Ocean's um, series, which may or may not continue. Um, and there was another film that we did a podcast on. Um, that uh, that Jess is actually going to talk about as uh, an other side selection. Tell people what the first movie that you went to after this uh, was uh, that popped up in your brain. I thought Widows, um, which starred uh, Viola Davis and Cynthia uh, Arrivo and maybe Elizabeth Michelle Debecky. Rodriguez. Elizabeth Debeck, how dare you forget the the treasure? That is Elizabeth Debicki. But it was also Michelle Rodriguez. Oh, well, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've yes, gotten to Elizabeth Debicki. Leave me okay. alone. <laughs> okay. um, so Widows was very, very dark, right? It's also trying to have women sort of take over um, the criminal life that their husbands had f- screwed up. Um, and 
but it's it stays dark all the way through. There's a mystery running through it. Who's why is um, Viola Davis so distraught? And maybe she was part of it. And who knows what's going on? And but it's very very dark. There's no lightness to it. Like there's no um, moment of levity, which I think the kitchen actually does much better in a lot of ways. I thought it did an interesting job having it in daylight most of the, more of the time. Honestly, I thought the widows was just very very dark. Like most of it's filmed at night, and I thought the kitchen did an interesting job. So it was this kind of light versus dark comparison of the movies. Going back to our, our main point about the directing skill though of Andrea Orloff did I get, oh, is that her yeah. name? Yeah. You know, this is what happens when you give a similar uh, setup to an Oscar winner like Steve McQueen. Absolutely. Um, I just still didn't I, I didn't enjoy the experience of watching Widows as much as I enjoyed the experience of watching The Kitchen. I'm not going to make it to any sort of Oscar table, but honestly, neither did Widows. Yeah, and it's 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 crazy because actually that's that's where we differ because Widows has been Widows has been on cable up here recently, and I'll find that I like lose 30 minutes watching that. Even though you know you're absolutely right, it is not a pleasant experience. Uh, several times over, um, Daniel Kaluuya just really finds a way to make you uncomfortable um yeah but but it's yeah it, it's it's kind of crazy that it's not it's 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 not a genre that will give you the same sort of thing every time and kind of going back to my original point of there's also in this same cluster of films oceans 8 oceans 8 is nothing but like slapdash jokiness while right. they're pulling off the heist you know like it, that, that's the thing the one thing i like is Anybody who wants to roll their eyes and mutter of, oh, it's another, you know, women gone bad crime movie. It's like, you know, there's a whole lot of ways to approach this. Absolutely. Like, I was starting to compare this to heist-type movies. Like, I didn't know for sure if Widows was actually a good comparison, because that is them basically 100% planning a heist. Yeah. And The Kitchen is not. The Kitchen is the women taking over and running things the other thing like to your point there of how the two compare is of course you do have the marriage of both movies starting with the men getting taken out of the picture and their wives needing to sort shit out and you know i'd right. I'm, I'm i'd like to see the movie you know just out of curiosity's sake i'd like to see the movie that flips the script and and the 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 women crime syndicate gets wrapped up all at once and the guys just fall to pieces because they probably <laughs> would um the first movie i thought of actually as a marriage for this one was that i liked that this was a movie about um an irish crime circle and that took me back uh, six, uh, 17 years now to a movie that I really feel has just kind of got lost in the shuffle. Um, when was the last time you saw or talked about Road to Perdition? Oh, wow. I think I saw it the year it came out and have not seen it since. No, or, you, might, you might have done a, like a real insight on it when they when you talked about Jude Law or when you talked or about Tom, Tom Hanks. Hanks. Yeah, yeah, somewhere uh, in there. Yeah, but I also might not have actually watched it. We didn't all we didn't both watch all the movies. 
Um, but we definitely talked about it. Right. So 2002. No, no, we took turns. I know, I know, I know. 2002. Um, this is uh, this was the follow up film by Sam Mendes to his Oscar winner American Beauty, which uh, there's a movie that does not age well. Um, Road to Perdition is in so many ways. Yeah, in the worst ways, really. Um, Road to Perdition is a, a, a movie about the Irish mob at the time of the Great Depression. Tom Hanks is a hitman, and um, the 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 top of this crime ring is played by Paul Newman in one Paul of Newman. his last roles, and it's this whole look at the Irish mob in America and how they relate to the to the Italian mob in America. Mm-hmm. There are scenes with Frank Nitti, and Frank Nitti is played Frank Nitti is played in this movie by Stanley Tucci. Um, there were scenes oh, on the cutting wow. room floor where they were talking about Capone. Capone was supposed to be played by Anthony LaPaglia, but all those scenes got cut out. And it's gorgeous. It is one of the best shot movies from this century, and I will fight anybody who disagrees with me. And, um, you know, it, the, the connection is tenuous because the they, they, you could not choose two very different movies than Road to Perdition in the Kitchen, but I like the idea of the Irish crime story in America. Um, one specific to New York City, and then one a little broader to the cultural chain across the country. Yeah. The, not the, maybe across the country, but across their region. Yeah, it was in like in the different the different settings of time too, right? Because the, the yeah. you've got one set in the Great Depression uh, and, right. and Prohibition, and you've got the other one set during the nineteen seventies. You know, I do like that they're both films set in the past, but in just such different eras of the past. You could get from a kitchen to Road to Perdition to Legends of the Fall, following some of those history lines and telling these interesting stories of who has power. Yeah, but yeah. that's where my brain went. <laughs> I like it. Um, you you had another movie uh, locked and loaded, ready to go, uh, in relation to the kitchen. I had just one to, that my brain came up to. Okay, but one that I is different because presumably everyone's already seen Goodfellas, but it did bring that idea of how does someone come into this setup like a family run entity and watching Ray Liotta try to get respect and try to build his own way in the mob in this way that sort of triggered something watching just Melissa McCarthy's character trying to do some of that too but everyone's already seen I don't think there's an actual comparison between Goodfellas and The Kitchen but if you want to see Melissa McCarthy do an amazing acting job as well that would be a partner to this to the kitchen is watching last year's can you ever forgive me yeah we talked about that a little bit on the oscar show um i didn't i didn't catch up with it until uh late january early february um if i had seen it before the calendar turn that would have been certainly one of my top movies of last year tell people about that because it's now just kind of bubbling up on on places like hbo and that kind of thing and that is certainly a movie that if somebody's gonna like yeah that's a movie that if somebody's gonna take a night in i'd kind of like to point them towards that so tell people about that movie oh definitely um so it's a it's based on a true story so melissa mccarthy plays lee israel who was an author who is doing really poorly um she is 
got a biography. I think she wrote a biography of Dorothy Parker or wrote a biography, and she's got another semi-failed book contract for it. But she's basically an asshole. She's just not a nice person most of the time. And she's failing. She's going to lose her apartment. She doesn't really clean her apartment. She's a shut-in of some of sorts and an alcoholic of many sorts. And she just has to try to get by. And so she decides to start um, creating fraudulent copies of letter literary paraphernalia like literary collectible things like she forges letters from Dorothy Parker to other people and ultimately she gets caught at some point because she pushes it too far she's such a good writer and this is the part that's hard to watch because you watch her literally squandering her talent but what if her only talent is really mimicking others right like impressions can be an acting tactic but is it the same as acting? Yeah, what I like about that comparison is you, you you did something really neat there when you were talking about Goodfellas and you know the whole idea of both with um, Melissa McCarthy in the kitchen and Ray Liotta in Goodfellas and how does one get into a life of crime? What I like about Lee Israel in in can you ever forgive me and how that dovetails into what you were saying with those other two movies is it leads me to wonder how does one begin to pathologically lie like how does one really start going down that road of not just fibbing not just telling the the mistruths that you know a lot of us do to to you know to to get through day to day but how does one really actually get into deep deception and sometimes it's just like they have no other choice, you know, and, that, and that's right. what kind of you see with Lee Israel is she's she's a talented person. Like you say, she's a very good writer who just somewhere along the line kind of stopped giving a shit. And this was her only way out before she would start to lose her apartment. Yeah. And she was good at it. People yeah. thought she was as good as like, it's not like she was copying it and then forging their signature she was writing things in the style of dorothy parker she was writing things in the style of noel coward like original things and people believed so cool she only got in trouble once she was basically trying to convince people that i don't remember exactly who but some previously famous author who was likely gay but it never explicitly come out as gay she yeah she pushes her her lies a bridge too far yes to basically changing history like that this person was never and it was only long enough ago that there were people who actually knew the authors she was copying and that was another place where she pushed her luck but yeah trying to figure out what does it take to cross some of these lines actually links this performance with McCarthy where she's not a good person at all. She's barely an anti-hero. She's never at any point the hero. She's mostly the villain of her own story, which is weird. So then it connects back to the kitchen where Melissa McCarthy is basically a good person. And then you literally watch explicitly these lines arrive where she has to make these choices as opposed to sliding 
into some of these choices. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what I like about all of these movies is that it forces you to cheer for somebody who is not likable. Like it's, it's what's going on on TV an awful lot these days. Like you, you kind of got to ask yourself why you're still pulling for somebody uh, despite the fact that they're doing some really, really bad things. Like, would you be pulling for Don Draper if he didn't look like John Hamm? You know, so that, that's the thing is like, True. you know, would you be pulling for Melissa McCarthy in the kitchen if she didn't have two mouths to feed and, and rent to pay and seem, you know, and, and, you know, if you squint just so it looks like, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, it's that kind of thing. <laughs> it forces you to really ask yourself why you are, pulling for who you're pulling for um a little cluster of films that i kind of want to bundle together as further viewing and these are ones that i would say like if you liked what this movie did go on to these movies because you'll probably love what they do um is the the trio of coffee clute and serpico these are all 1970s New York movies. Um, I've never heard of Coffee. Coffee, Coffee is the one um, you can you can see slight flourishes of Coffee in um, in the kitchen because Coffee is the the Pam Greer movie. Um, there's a lot. The, it's it's a black exploitation movie that let me be clear is really not good. Um, but the, the, the crazy thing about black exploitation is the movies themselves are often not that good, but they're really emblematic of a time and a movement and, and a political moment. So they have greater importance than whether or not they are technically good. Um, and Coffee was Pam Greer's like one of her biggest movies. It's like that and Foxy Brown, you know, depending on what side of the bar argument you're on. Um, so a lot of the times when you're watching Tiffany Haddish strutting around hell's kitchen dressed to the nines you you kind of tilt your head just so and it's like okay they're pulling from coffee clue was um nice yeah clue was a jane fonda movie from 1971 um that she's in with donald sutherland she's got an incredible uh kind of shag haircut uh in that movie that was all rage at the time um it is another one of these really morally compromised really grimy 1970s movies um that i feel is sort of getting lost to time i mean if you talk to anybody who like subscribes to tcm they'll be able to you know talk your ear off for uh, about clute and it was a movie that uh, actually got jane fonda an oscar but you know you ask the average millennial about clute and they will have no idea what you're talking about um so clute's a movie that did like 1970s much better because hey it's from the 1970s and then serpico is like one of the al pacino movies and i don't use that term loosely um you know he's the good cop uh trying to make right you know the right decision when surrounded by dirty cops um it's a movie it's it's directed by sydney lamette who is an absolute legend and you know again kind of like what we're saying with the kitchen sometimes the right decision isn't always an easy decision and you get that a lot in mm-hmm. Serpico, you know, it, it's not the kind of thing always that that's that's easy to do. Um, so those movies, I've got to kind of like as I get older, I'm getting more and more as a, of a soft spot for those like 1970s New York movies, partially because as we were talking about before, and as I've said on this show, that version of New York City just does not exist anymore. 
Right. You know? It's too Disney-fied. Yeah, and I mean, don't get me wrong, like, it, that, that's in a lot of ways, it's probably a good thing. Like, I'm, I mm-hmm. know I'm romanticizing a truly shitty place, um, but it just, it looks so cool and lends itself to some really cool stories. <laughs> so, Fair. So, uh, that's my little true. Did you have any others, or... Was that it? Nope, that was all I got. Um, Well, the one more I'll just probably tip people towards uh, before we call it a day is from back in 1996 by the Wachowskis, um, which, I mean, you know, we could probably do a whole other show if we talk about the fact that this is a film that at the time was directed by two brothers who have now become two transgender sisters. When's the last time you watched or thought about Bound? Never heard of it. No, bound. Okay. Bound is in is in like bound and tied. No. Okay. Never heard of bound with Jennifer Tilly and Gina Gershon. That's the one. Nope, um, never heard of it. Yep. So this is um, and Joe Pantoliano is like the main criminal in the movie. Um, I'll give you I'll give you the the Wikipedia version of this. It's the uh, they took inspiration from Billy Wilder to tell a noir story filled but with sex and violence. Um, it's it's uh, Gershon and Jennifer Tilly are two lesbians. There's a lot of nudity. There's a lot of sex. Joe Pantoliano is the um, is part of uh, he's a he's a gangster, and the two of them are sort of same thing, trying to get trying to get in on it trying to get a little bit of the action and also still trying to keep their necks they have no idea what they're doing but it's really cool really sexy a lot of fun it's aged amazingly well um but um yeah it it was the first film by the wachowskis it was the one they did before they did the matrix the matrix right because if anybody ever watches this movie and thinks warner brothers is about to give them a whole lot of money to go make a soft movie, it'll be like you're out of your mind, and it, and it is still it is a really good and really hot movie that I can't recommend wow. enough. Um, that again, so, sort of the same sort of thing that we were saying with widows and the kitchen and oceans of you know the women are put into a corner and how do they go about you know getting getting theirs? It's it's you know where these two women. Uh, Gershon and uh, Jennifer Tilly are hatching a plan to basically steal the mob for two million dollars, which in 1986 yeah. that's a lot of money, and certainly for two people who don't know what they're doing, that's a lot of money. And it's, and it's really cool. That's awesome. I've never heard of this. Yeah. Thank, yeah. thank you. Definitely. Um, so yeah, people people should certainly certainly see Bound. Certainly see a lot of the movies we've talked about today, and like uh, you know, I cannot recommend Jess's call of can you ever forgive me enough uh please yeah. see that movie you know like yeah. if, if you want to take a pass in the kitchen and you're just going to stay in um can you ever forgive me is <laughs> one that's making the rounds but that is episode 229 of the matinee cast um i'm so grateful uh for uh, jess rogers coming by come on back for episode 230 assuming that summer hours don't kick in again and we throw things for a loop uh, it will be on monday august 26th i do not know what movie we will be talking about just yet because it's the end of the summer and pickings are kind of slim but we'll have one more before we go on hiatus for tiff and our september break um Jess, of course, can be found on Real Insight, uh, the new episode for 1995, where you talk about 
Die Hard with a Vengeance and Braveheart? Braveheart, yeah. Yeah, there's there's a motley couple if there ever was one. Uh, that's up oh, now. Yeah. And what year are you guys talking about next? I do not remember, but I'm sure we tell you at the end of the last episode. I will. <laughs> there's that. I will leave a note in the show in the in the in the show notes. I will leave a, a detail about what year that uh, Jess and Rachel <laughs> will you. be talking about next. Um, but do give a listen to Real Insight. Of course, you can find a uh, link for that in the show notes as well. If people do want to follow you on Twitter, where can they find you? They can find me at <laughs> the handle that is still attached to my original blog, which is at in underscore entertain, because I used to have a blog called Insight into Entertainment. Very nice. And uh, link for that in the show notes as well. My site is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them on Stitcher Radio, Spotify, Blueberry, whatever Apple's doing with their podcasting platforms these days, and the iTunes Store. Everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. If there's a platform that you use that my show does not appear on, drop me a note and I will put it on said platform. Feedback on The Kitchen or on any of the movies that we talked about can be left uh, in the comment section of the site. You can email ryan at thematinee.ca, Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore ca, or facebook.com slash darkmatinee. Any final thoughts, Doc? I can't believe we made it 230 episodes, but I'm very impressed. Uh, you, you, I mean, like, now you're hexing me. Now, like, like now I've, I've, I'm going to be on pins and needles until I post 230 just because I'm going to freak that something is going to happen to me. <laughs> Way to go. No, nothing's going to happen to you. It can't. That's, a, that, that's certainly the hope. And if uh, if it does, blame Jess. For Ryan, for Ryan, <laughs> for Jess, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee. <laughs>